and we're back. Hey guys, welcome back to uh, the Wizari Epon podcast. Uh, I'm Pathfinder, and once again, as always, I'm joined by Ichigeki Edge, Chris. What's up, guys? Good to be back. Good path. Good to have you back. So uh, I'm excited for this episode. Yeah, thanks. I've been traveling for work again a lot. Um, once again, big shout out to uh, Aaron and Mike for holding down the Twitter and doing a lot of stuff on the YouTube for us while I was gone. So I think we should start with a recap of the stuff uh, we missed before the end of the year last year, which was um, mm-hmm. the All Japan results, right? So start with uh, IKO1. Uh, it was, yeah. I believe, in November. So going into the tournament, right, Kaito Nishimura is the the name they're pushing, right? That's the guy that, he's the guy now that a lot of people have retired. But I found this tournament a little bit more interesting than the year before because we had a return of an ace. We had Choki Arata come out of mm-hmm. retirement for this one, um, claiming that he wanted to make one more run at the world tournament. And so you got to fight in the All Japan for that. So we actually had three uh, co- like competent heavyweights in this one. So it wasn't just sort of a, well, it's going to be Kaito Nishimura and Kovalenko and everyone else is just going to get folded. Um, so that was that was exciting. And Arata... Yeah, Ar- Arata actually, he lost a lot of weight, or he has been losing weight over the last couple of years, but he looked, you know very fit in the, in this uh in this or in the lead up to the tournament um yeah it, it, i would agree that we had three uh competent uh heavyweights in the running it was it was just nice to know that it wasn't just going to be a clean sweep all the way to the finals so mm-hmm. quite literally with kovalenko um but yeah, Arata looked really good. He finished a lot of guys, a lot of the lighter weight guys that he fought on route to the semifinals. He was body shotting everybody. He looked as good as he did when he left, which I was really happy to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had some. How, how far? Ones. How how long has he been uh, gone for? I mean, the last time I saw him fight him, well, fight in person was the World Tournament in two thousand fifteen. I don't, I don't know if he fought in the All Japans that came after that. Do you know when he retired, like, I guess, retired at, at the time? I remember seeing him, I want to say, until the COVID era. I believe oh, wow. he was in all the All Japans until, like, 2018. I, I believe I believe after the the last world tournament we had, mm-hmm. he was in that one as well. He, he didn't fight in any All Japans after that one. Once we hit the, you know, 2019 beginning of the COVID era, I, I didn't see mm-hmm. him anymore. Wow. Um, and that sort of yeah. paved the way for, you know, the Kovalenko emergence, so to say. Sure. Yeah, I so, like you said, Nishimura came out on top uh, for the All Japan again. So he's, uh, he won it last year as well, right? So he's... He's a double champ, <laughs> double All Japan uh, champ. But I think he won it more decisively this year than last year. Um, and Kovalenko, he he brought back his sweeps. He looks a lot. I mean, he's not sort of where he 
I would say he's not where he used to be in terms of being a threat on the world stage, I would say, but he's definitely, at least in the All Japan in November, looked like he was putting in more effort than he looked to be in the in the last couple tournaments and we we that we've sort of talked about on uh, past episodes that he sort of he was sort of losing his uh, his momentum even though he was winning tournaments in Japan. Yeah, he won a couple fights with his sweeps again, which had disappeared last year. It's interesting you say Nishimura won it more decisively. Well, quite literally, because last year he won it because Kovalenko fouled out, and he won by default. He didn't even have to fight in the final. So I this forgot about that. Yeah, so this year they actually fought. Um, interesting to note, though, in the semifinals, Kovalenko and Shoki Arata went to absolute war, pounded the shit out of each other, really going for it, and... I wasn't sure, man. I really thought Arata would still be better than this new crop. Um, but I guess age catches up with you no matter what eventually. And Kovalenko actually beat him. Whereas if you would have asked me two years ago, I would have said that Kovalenko's emergence as the sort of defining character in the All Japan would only be because the aces, the four aces stepped down. Um, but he mm-hmm. proved that he belongs there. I mean, he beat Arata, and he did so very impressively. He really hurt his leg with low kicks towards the end, and I thought Arata might go down to leg kicks for the first time in his career. Uh, he made the wow. final bell, but it was a good fight. But that's another that thing, too. would have been so nuts if he, yeah. if he got KO'd with low kicks. That's that's crazy to think about. It came close, man. Like, you could tell yeah. he w- it, w- it was hurting him bad. Um, but I remember thinking after that was over, like, good luck fighting the juggernaut-sized Nishimura in the next round after <laughs> that war. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, yeah. Kovalenko did his best, and they went at it, but I think he just didn't have much left in the tank after that. And uh, Nishimura got his definitive win. He actually beat Kovalenko in the finals as opposed to him fouling out. So good for him. Um I'm still. I still want to see a little more from Nishimura in terms of, like you said, on the international stage. Because while he is impressive, I like to see an X factor out of all Japan champions. So for like mm-hmm. Mikio Ueda, it was his crazy knees from any position. Um, for Takahashi, it was his ability to very fast, like very lightly kick you in the face and steal a Wazari at any moment. Um, he sort of plots forward and is just an all-around solid fighter, but I don't see an X factor yet. That's what that's what I want to see develop from him. Otherwise, you know, when he starts fighting international talent, I think I would still pick a lot of the guys in Europe and Russia over him. I would agree with that. I think, Dor, I'm thinking back to, I guess, 2019 or 2018 when... He first came over for the All-American Tournament in uh, in New York, um, and he actually got Joel Guy. So he he kept uh, pushing people out of the ring because that was sort of like one of the new rules that if you step out of the ring, uh, you know, two times you get chewy, or maybe you even get like uh, disqualified or something, or Genten maybe. 
Um, so Nishimura really like took advantage of that and kept pushing his opponents out, um, which you know he ended up winning those fights. But uh, my Shihan and sort of the top Japanese Shihan that were present at the the tournament in New York, like I know they spoke to him afterwards and be like, you know that that's not really what we're looking for. Like you have to win more decisively. Um, you know, despite the allowance for the introduction of that that new sort of foul or or rule um, for the Joel guy, but like I, he he, I think he relies on his strength a lot more so than technique, um, which plays to his advantage because he is a very tall guy, especially for a Japanese person, and he. He is a, a heavyweight. Um, I would say he he might even be super heavyweight uh, in like the weight classes, maybe. But um, yeah, he he's not sort of a. I wouldn't like pin a dis- definitive move or a definitive 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 strategy other than you know <laughs> leg kick the guy and and push him out. Um, to, like like I said and isn't what the IKO leadership is looking for in a you know, uh, world contender and for a, a, an all-Japan winner. So um, I, I, I agree with you, Path. Yeah, that's, that's, what I, that's what I'm alluding to is, like you said, he relies a lot on his strength and his size. And that's great as, you know, the COVID era has left sort of the, the Kyokushin world very divided and... Um, regional to the national level basically but as soon as this opens up you know we'll talk about it later on as this Mm -hmm. is a world tournament year um good luck trying to do that to the europeans you know like you're not going to be able to wait bully you know some of the guys you're going to be fighting on the international stage so i need to see something else from him before i really Mm -hmm. rate him super super highly but yeah so that was it for the IKO All Japan, but there was also the Shin Kyokushin. Uh, I just had I had one more guy to talk about. Yeah, go ahead. For for the IKO, uh, was Ohata Roji uh, from Kyoto. So he, him and his brother, I I think are like similarly named. I think they're like Roji and Ruji, uh, and they're either brothers that are like a year or two apart, or they're twins. I I really don't know too much about them. I think they're twins they're um emerging as possible new pieces for for the japanese team in the coming years they're really starting to get pushed by the organization i think um so ohata ryoji came in third for the all japan uh this or into 2022 the 54th all japan um so i'm excited to see how he does this year and especially in the world tournament that we'll talk about a little bit later. So there's there's guys guys in the run in that that could possibly sort of become the new Japanese stars. But like we said in the past, like organization pushes them very hard and then they mess up one or two times and then could possibly go to kickboxing. So <laughs> I I hope that is not the case, but for the old Hatha brothers, but yeah, that that was the only thing I wanted to talk about 
for the IK All Japan. Yeah, fair enough. I believe I saw him fight with Shin Takagi in some of the regional tournaments. Um, where finally, for, for the longest time, if you wanted to see them, you basically had to be there live. So I just want to shout this out in case people are as into it as we are, that on Kyokushin Online, the IKO sort of streaming site, they've started every year now uploading like the All Kanto, the All Kansai, sort of the mm-hmm. more regional tournaments. They're actually posting them now, which before they would just be lost to time if you weren't there or read the results sheet. And I'm pretty sure that Shin Takagi and uh, Ohata are the two guys that sort of keep winning those and popping up all the time. So they were they were on my radar. Um, and then strangely, I'm not sure if they announced why, but the Shin Kyokushin All Japan was not in November. They actually did it around Christmas, which I'm not sure what that was about. Yeah, they did it on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, which in Japan are not, you know, holidays like they are in the West. Um, you know, you usually have to work on Christmas Day if it falls during the week weekday. It's thought, you know, to be more of a, I guess, a floater holiday, you would call it in the West, but it would, uh, you know, it's more so a marketing, day, like people, uh, Christmas shop, but it's not necessarily a, a holiday. So it wasn't surprising that they hold it on a day if, if the that weekend was available, um, for the building it wouldn't wasn't surprising that they chose to hold it on christmas day yeah christmas tends to be more of like a like a couple's holiday in japan than you know yeah yeah so it the thing is that you get together with your partner and you eat kfc yeah i was gonna say the the, the chicken bucket and bang and just the grossest (laughs) shit ever definitely not a family holiday <laughs> so so the shit yeah. yeah it was on the it's on christmas so you could you know while you're doing your chicken and banging you can watch some guys knock each other out that's real festive um this one was another stacked one um, i'm starting to think that in terms of just pure japanese talent i'm starting to mm-hmm. get really impressed by um what shin kyokushin is doing especially with bringing in all these other leagues so you had you know, uh, Yuya Tanaka, you had, um, you know, the normal guys at Kembu Ariki. You still have Yuta Takahashi from Takahashi Dojo now. Mm-hmm. Um, Oto Yuta. Yeah, yeah, man. And every time I see that guy, he gets more and more impressive. He actually landed a switch kick KO at this thing and just about killed the oh guy he God. was fighting. That that was sick. Yeah, but... Iki still comes out on top. It's amazing. Oh uh, yeah, I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> he, I mean, th- is this a four peat, five peat for him now? No, he lost to somebody last year, two years ago, right? So it's not a full. Uh, Kame, I think Shin Kame. Yeah, but that was because Sh- Yuta Goto Sh- beat the living shit out of him, and he could barely stand when he got to the finals. Too, right? Yeah. yeah. Or Shimamoto won maybe last year, and then Ame won whenever. But yeah, Riki has won all Japan multiple times at least. So yeah, it seems to always be now um, 
Goto versus Iriki in the finals. That seems to be how it always ends up. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there were some really good fights that I've wanted to see them matched up. So obviously since the IKO former All Japan Open champion Yuta Takahashi crossed over, I really wanted to see him against Iriki and these other guys just to see how he stacks up. Not that he's ever going to get a fair judging row, but just for me to see it. And we got one of them. Unfortunately, it didn't go the way I thought it would. He got uh, Daiki Kato, the Shin Kyokushin mm-hmm. legend. And they had a pretty good fight, but I want to say towards, after about the first minute of the fight, uh, Takahashi seemed to just fade. Uh, he stopped punching almost entirely. And despite being bigger than Kato, is getting pushed back. And he lost a, a fair decision, I thought. Um, but he I, broke I, his hand. Right, that's what I was getting to. Is it didn't make sense at the time why he sort of just let it slip away like that. Um, but what I learned was, as you said, it turned out in the previous fight, he very badly broke his hand and just tried to tough through it and basically couldn't. And I saw the x-ray of it on Instagram. It looked nasty. <laughs> like horrific. Yeah. Even like when he posted the, the post-surgery and just had hand wrap was was nasty i don't know he what did he break it or how did he break it do you know Um, besides in the previous fight so i think what happened what going back and watching and looking for it in the previous fight he did what uh ryu narushima was really famous for where you throw a low kick and an uppercut to the liver at the exact same time And so he did that into a rolling thunder really hard and knocked the guy out with it. I think when I look at the way the hand connected, I think he was so focused on the rolling thunder coming next that he threw the uppercut just a little bit sloppy. It looked like his hand sort of turned in towards the wrist a little too much. You You don't get sort of a great camera angle, but I think that's where it happened. Oh, so he he like did it to himself. He like I, I think so. Yeah. Oof. So so that uh, one was a little disappointing, he, but he did get a fair shot, I would say, by yeah. the judges compared to earlier this year. I guess was it in the spring that they just like yeah pulled the, him. Yeah. Yeah, the JFKO tournament earlier. Yeah, I think I'm hoping as the years roll on and he stays just the guy from Takahashi Dojo that mm-hmm. that sort of I don't mean it like this just for lack of a better term that stink of where he came from will wear off to the people in charge there they'll stop seeing him as an outsider and then mm-hmm. he'll start getting fairer judging that's what I'm hope, hoping for I think it's stupid that that's the way it works to begin with but hey that's that's politics right that happens everywhere sure um um another guy i wanted to talk about was watanabe yusaku yes uh so he he is from tsukamoto dojo uh so norichika tsukamoto's dojo um so he did fairly well when he fought in poland in the fall we we didn't talk about it this episode but uh shin kyokushin had a world tournament or world weight category tournament yeah world weight poland yeah uh, in the fall, and he he got pretty far, I would say, uh, maybe semifinals or something. And he had, I think, he had a very nasty knockout to 
uh, want to say like a an American guy. I don't know. It was it, it would be odd for an American to fight in Shinkyokushin, but uh, the guy wasn't Japanese and he wasn't European. Um, but uh, yeah, Yusaku did fairly well in this tournament as well. So he's an up and coming Shinkyokushin star. He looks. Uh, is not nice for me to say because especially because i am a bigger guy uh, but he looks chubbier than he he is actually um so his 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 initial appearance might be deceiving of his athleticism not saying that bigger guys can't be athletic especially because ochiai kose my boy (laughs) jinkyokushin came in fifth place in in the all japan tournament so like I said, your guys can't aren't always unathletic as OTI displays finely. Um, but another person I wanted to talk about was uh, Suzuki Chihiro. Uh, yeah. She won the All Japan for the uh, women's division. Um, so she is uh, actually the daughter of a four-time All Japan tournament winner and eighth world tournament winner for Shinkyokushin uh, Suzuki Kunihiro so he won the world tournament in 2003 and it's the first father daughter all Japan winner and I'm not sure if it's the first you know um, so the word they used in Japanese was uh, oyako so, which means like parent and child so I don't know if that's like the if there has been a father and son that won the All Japan uh, tournament before, but it's definitely the first father daughter combination. So that's very cool, especially because uh, Suzuki Kunihiro, her dad, um, has had a wild couple of years dealing with a cancer. Um, he looks like a completely different person than he did. Um, during his fighting years, uh, unfortunately, uh, not for the better. Super skinny. He he looks, although he is, it seems like he has sort of defeated the cancer for, for right now, but definitely did a toll on his body. So I'm sure that seeing his daughter uh, win the All Japan was, was a morale boost and uh, made him feel good. So that was, a, that's some good news least yeah that that is really cool that is that his daughter won um always thinking about him he was a great champion sucks to see that unfortunately yeah. it's something that a lot of people um have to go through in their families um there yeah there was a lot of good fights at this one we got takahashi versus daikikato we got goto versus iriki kembu who i see i think are just going to be locked in Mortal Kombat for all eternity in Shin Kyokushin. I don't see anyone else entering that top, those top spots. Even guys like, uh, on the first year of sort of the COVID era, Yuya Tanaka, who's a guy I really like, tournament outside org, he, he placed like uh, third or fourth, knocking out a lot of guys. He actually got bounced in like the, the second round, I think, in this. Just shows you how high the talent level is for the Shinkyokushin All Japan that even like guys that I could foresee winning it if one or two guys were out are mm-hmm. getting bounced in the first and second round you really 
it comes down a lot to the brackets. Um, it was just a just a really good tournament. Lots of great KOs. Uh, Ochai, you know, coming back is is really cool to see. I think he ended up fighting Goto again. That's twice really? now that Goto's played spoiler for his returns. Um, but just great seeing Goto from Mac Dojo. I just I don't know what to say about him. He sort of surprised me that first COVID year. You know, really bodying people before. Um, losing in the semifinals but now he just i don't know how old he is but now it just, he just seems unstoppable like even when he you know we've i'm not going to go on about it because we've gone on it before in different podcasts loses air quotes to iriki like who the hell is going to stop this guy man it's just crazy to see how powerful he is he hits so hard man yeah for sure it's a it's a wild it's he's a wild fighter so um yeah so hopefully we get out of this goto iriki um uh shuffle uh, constant battle yeah, yeah. Uh, somebody somebody else win please but um yeah uh so i i would say that um no, i definitely paid more attention to shinkyokushin uh all japan tournament uh because i i was a little bit freer on christmas than i was around uh thanksgiving time uh for for the iko one so i i I really enjoyed watching the this shinkyokushin all japan and as you said earlier something we should probably touch on because i think i don't think we did an episode on it and it actually won a bunch of uh year-end awards from us we should probably talk about the shinkyokushin world weight tournament that happened in poland a little bit so yeah Especially yeah, I mean, heavy. This weight. is all. This is all you, because I I don't remember it at all. I remember watching it, but I yeah, don't that's... remember the the fighting at all, uh, other than what you sort of were texting me at the time. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. Uh, so I'll take this as the moment because I was gonna I was gonna talk about this a little bit later, but this is a good preamble for it. So the Shinkyokushin uh, World Weight in Poland. Uh, I'm pretty sure from talking to Kyokushin Spirit on Twitter, who's got a little bit more behind the scenes about how that organization works than I do. Um, mm-hmm. It was interesting to note that Ukrainians participated in it, but Russians did not. And I'm, I'm told that that was a decision made by the European side with it. Like what, it, it was not a ask Honbu in Japan situation. It was a, this is what's happening too bad, which is very oh. interesting that they took that upon themselves. Um, so Ukrainians were there, but Russians weren't. So you had um, a lot of European talent and you had actually some Japanese, which was surprising to me. Um, you had uh, Tada was there. You had uh, Iriki Kembu was there. And, you know, Kembu Iriki did really well until he ran into the literal human <laughs> freight train, Mazer, um, who... I still don't understand that guy. I don't understand how he's human. Um, for anybody who watched this tournament live, you know what I'm talking about or saw any of our coverage on Twitter. Just absolute insanity. Is he um, the guy that's like 6'6"? Six, six? <laughs> Is he like the really tall guy? Um, Mazur's the guy who's just got a chest of steel. And he's oh, you know, yeah. just a, like a goatee and just the like living embodiment of akuma basically just <laughs> every fight he would get devastated 
just take some of the worst punishment I would ever see and then with like a minute left in the fight would just summon a demon inside of him and go insane. Uh, the same thing happened when he fought uh, Kemburiki. Kemburiki looked like he had him, man. His legs were trash. It looked like Mazur was about to fall and then suddenly he just went psycho and just started battering Kembu with punches and actually almost forced him off the mat. And won. And he, he came back from almost out like three, four times in that tournament. And the finals for, you know, the, the super heavyweight ended up being um, Mazur versus uh, Gazowskas, who we've talked about mm-hmm. a million times. Evantis Gazowskas here. And that fight actually won. not So the Shin Kyokushin uh, world weight won our event of the year. And then this won our fight of the year because Mazur and Gazowskas. Like, they, they were literally, like, reaching their punches back almost behind them to get the force. <laughs> like, just unreal that they didn't break their hands, but just went at it. Like, just full bore the whole way. Um, right near the end, Gazowskis hit Mazur with a really good knee that sort of forced him back that I think was a deciding factor for him to win. Mm-hmm. And, man, that was, that was such a cool fight. And even though uh, Mazur did not win the tournament, he got second place, and he came back from almost out like three or four times. It was super inspiring, man. Just those two guys are on a different level. And it was just amazing that, you know, we, we me specifically, I focus a lot on the All Japans. To see Kembu Riki, who's looked unbeatable in Japan, just get dog-walked like that by Mazur was incredible i was like man i don't know what the hell you're gonna do against that guy in the world tournament <laughs> like, it seems like only gazowskis has the power to stop him but yeah that was wow. a that was a really really cool tournament lots of brutal knockouts um yeah we had a yeah we had a didn't really good you say did, didn't you say that the judging was a little weird and then the crowd like oh they, yes <laughs> rioted and then yeah and then they, they went back to normal yeah, so what happened is really early on in the tournament, basically any Japanese fighter was getting the nod against the European guys, even if it clearly was not valid. And the crowd would just start booing and throwing things and getting more and more rowdy as time went on. And by about the third round of the tournament, like they had some little, this poor little girl, like announcer, like, please don't you know scream in the crowds like please respect the judges and everyone just kept going and going and then suddenly (laughs) by the third round the european guys were always getting the nod over the japanese guys and they sort of the crowd i really feel if you go back and watch the full event i really feel like the crowd um had some sway over them and as the crowd sort of was more happy with the decisions uh, the announcer kept coming back like three or four times and being like, we just want to thank you for being respectful. Please stay respectful. <laughs> like, like good dog, good dog. Stay, stay spot, stay. And I was just dying laughing. Like, holy fuck. They're running scared of this Polish crowd, man. They don't, they don't fuck around, especially with Mazda in the building. They were like, don't you dare. Don't you dare. <laughs> oh man, it was great. And honestly, some people, we're mad about it. They're like, that's really disrespectful. But to me, um, 
I'm an old, I, I'm an old crusty yeah. man. Sometimes you need that with these organizations to keep them honest. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I don't remember, like, I don't remember um, them, like, getting too rowdy because I probably went to bed or something. But, um, but yeah, I agree because we've said it on here before that judging is biased a lot of the time. So, sort of need a need a um, a counterweight. Need some, yeah, someone to say something in order to put put things back into order. <clears throat> Yeah, so that was that was a really great tournament, um, and so something else I, I wanted to to mention briefly, uh, a bit of a preamble into it is, someone had asked me about this, and I thought it was a great question because on the last podcast we talked about how, you know, we're we're not gonna get on this show, we're not gonna get like super political or anything, we're gonna keep it as neutral as possible, but sometimes, the world of politics intersects so hard with Kyokushin that mm-hmm. we have to mention it. But um, it was pointed out to me, it's like, well, but on your personal stuff, you'll say things. So, so I just want to clear this up for people. So how we decided, since this is a collaboration channel now, and we have a bunch of different people with different views working, when we're doing Wazari X Epon or we're doing something on the YouTube, we're going to keep it as neutral as humanly possible. And we're just going to mention what we have to mention and then move on. But on our personal social medias, like Chris's Instagram or my Twitter or whatever, we're still human beings. Sometimes we want to talk about the news of the day. We'll do that. Mm -hmm. But if you don't want any of that and we totally 100% get it, then you can just come here and get it distilled without our biases as much as humanly possible. So I thought that was a good question, so I'd bring that up. And that's the preamble into what I have to talk about, which is how heavily this is affecting the Kyokushin world. There was a bunch mm-hmm. of articles in Gong and even the IKO like World Karate magazine talking before the All Japan and then obviously with the Shin Kyokushin world uh, world weight that you know COVID sort of lightening up, people are gonna be able to travel again. So the Russians will be able to compete in this all Japan that just happened. And so, you know, the level of competition will increase. And I said on the last show that, unfortunately, because of the war in Ukraine, that might not actually happen. That happened right around mobilization when they were, you know, drafting people in Russia. And I thought it might be hard for the Russian team to get there. And that is what happened. Unfortunately, we were right about that. Whereas, you know, these articles were talking about, you know, Igor Zaganov is going to be in the All Japan 2022. And that didn't happen. Just wanted to come back and say that's why, that we were right about that. And then with Shin Kyokushin, Europe saying, you know, we're not going to take Russians in this tournament. And then I just, I say, mention all this because I think we might run into a similar situation with the world tournament, which we're going to talk about in a minute, is that don't be surprised if something like that happens again. You know, the situation is always changing. We might, we might, we might not see the Russians and Ukrainians in the world tournament. There's no official announcement on what they're going to do. I would just say be wary of articles saying that, you know, one way or another. We just don't know yet. But just know that that is heavily affecting uh, international competition for Kyokushin right now. Yeah, so I, so I actually have something to say about that as well. Um, so I agree that I... Out, there'll be as many Russians 
uh, at least in the IKO World Tournament this year, as they are usually. Um, but some uplifting news, if you want to look at it that way, is that um, actually Kovalenko's Shihan, and then also Andre Cherkov and um, his like, Team Godhand partner, Asha Gurbanov, I think, or some something yes. like that. First name Lasha. Um, they actually tested in Japan uh, for the next um, their next black belt ranks in in January, um, in early January at the Mitsumine camp, the New Year's camp. Um, so uh, Kovalenko became third don. His Shihan became like fifth or sixth don. And then Cherkov and Lasha became fourth Don. So they are, at least for now, able to get what I imagine are tourist visas. Right. Um, so it's interesting to see like that those guys got in. I don't know how many Russian tourist visas Japan will be issuing, uh, depending on how... You know, it's unfortunate, but how the war ends out this year, um, you know, by the time November rolls around, like, will there even be enough? Yeah, that's will the enough thing. Russians qualify for a tourist visa? Um, and it's the same here in America. Like, Russians have to apply for, for a visa to even visit the country. Sometimes, uh, you know, I work with a lot of international students, so even the students that come here not on tourist visas don't always get that that tourist visa. So they have to, you know, change their study plans up a lot. And it has happened uh, that you know Russians haven't gotten tourist visas to compete in either the All American tournament here in New York or um, or the U.S. Weight category tournament in L.A. So you know, it, we'll see how the year turns out you know hopefully things in the war begin to clear up Let, let's let's be hopeful about that um but yeah, it, it politics does definitely affect you know, the way the world works and the way immigration works and you know, the way karate works as well so yeah, this it, is this is the worst I've in, seen. Yeah. It. I've never seen yeah. world events affect karate as much as they have in the last two years, especially with COVID as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we just don't know. So, I bring that up again just to caution people because people were really optimistic about the All Japan and last episode. I had to say, hey guys, like we just don't know. There's a lot going on, and unfortunately, that is what happened. They didn't come. It was only Kovalenko because he lives in Japan. So just something to keep in mind if you see articles like that again this year. The truth is we just don't know. So, But as it is uh, a world tournament year, I think uh, something we should talk about first, though, actually, is there's been a lot of shakeups in the organization. Since we were already talking sort of about the touching on the political stuff, there's been some interesting developments with the organizations, whereas a bunch of uh, Hiroshige's legendary students... Um, have returned to the world of IKO while um, others have taken their leave. Um, if Chris mm-hmm. wants to expand on that, sure. So we'll talk about we'll talk about the Jonan Shibu boys first. So uh, 
Hiroshige uh, Shihan was a was a legendary you know teacher and coach to um, you know world champions in the 1990s, uh, and it the first bit of news was uh, shared on November 2nd of 2022 was that Yamaki Kenji the was he the fifth or sixth sixth world tournament sixth world tournament uh, yeah sixth world tournament champion uh, has returned to the IKO as a Hombu Chihan uh, uh, so he has sort of disbanded his own a style of karate that was based in in Los Angeles, uh, California, Yamaki Karate, and then about two years ago he returned to Japan and was teaching, you know, Yamaki Karate at different like uh, gyms around around Tokyo. But um, as of November, he has returned to the fold, as they say, um, as, as a full full branch chief out of Hombu. Um, so they did a, uh, a press release or a press conference, and it said that you know it sort of happened at least according to Matsui Kancho that uh, you know it sort of happened naturally. Yamaki returned to Japan, and they they had dinner like just as a catch up, and um, Yamaki expressed that although he was teaching his own style of karate, was he was teaching his version of Kyokushin. Um, so, you know, after, I guess, further discussion and uh, talks with, with Matsui Kancho, um, you know, it was decided that he would he would expand his, his organization and, and return to the IKO, which is very, very interesting uh, because earlier last year for the All Japan Weight Category Tournament in June, uh, Kazumi Hajime showed up at the tournament, you know, in a in a regular suit, not affiliated with, you know, any organization other than his own. But it seems like he is back on friendly terms with the IKO. Um, so Kazumi is uh, another student, a uh, legendary student of uh, Hiroshige Shihan. Uh, who went on to lead uh, one of the leaders of Kyokushin Khan and then eventually uh, Kyokushin Kenbukai uh, before his his death a couple years ago. Um, but Azumi is my favorite fighter of all time. Uh, he's He was very well known for his low, low kicks, and I, I definitely tried to emulate him in my own low kicks, in my, my own training. Um, and I actually I got to meet him uh, because I was outside of his dojo uh, in 2019, and he happened to walk outside, and I just introduced myself. You know, I was sort of doing uh, my dojo explorer exploring at the time. Um, so if you're not familiar with that, uh, I run a, a a blog and and an Instagram. Uh, sort of profiles martial arts dojos around the world or specifically in new york for the time being but uh because of covid and stuff but um yeah so i wanted to to check the dojo out and take a pictures picture and uh do a profile of that it just so happens that 
um, Kazumi walked out of his dojo and I introduced myself and he invited me up to his dojo, took a selfie together. Um, so that was that was very, very cool. But at least he, he's back on friendly terms. Iwasaki um, Tatsuya and also uh, Takaku have uh, formed or have signed on to the IKO as supporting members. So they're sort of um, advisors to the organization now. Iwasaki runs his own organization called Gokikai, which is still technically a karate style, but, um, you know, Iwasaki had a, pro a couple pride fights and uh, also trains MMA fighters. Um, so it was sort of alluded to in that press conference that IKO wouldn't wouldn't shy or steer his fighters away from MMA if they wanted to pursue that. And Iwasaki would help in that endeavor if fighters wanted to do that. Um, but Matsui Kancho sort of also made it clear that Kyokushin is not going to branch out into kickboxing or, or to MMA. They are continuing what they claim to be as Budo Karate. Um, so they're going to stick with knockdown, but basically if other if fighters want to pursue other endeavors, there will be um, people to, to help them along the way. Um, Takaku is... I wasn't too familiar with him um, uh, until recently. Basically, he was another of... Hiroshige's fighters that uh, was tech more technical or the best uh, technical fighter that that gym had due to some medical problems he wasn't able to fight at an elite level um, so he never really got the recognition that he should have maybe gotten if he had been a tournament fighter or a, or, or a better tournament fighter I would say um, but he uh, he also signed on as a supporting member, so I'm guessing that his fighters, although they tend to be children, for the most part I think, would be allowed to enter IKO tournaments. So that's that's my little uh, <laughs> news report for the for the Jonan boys. So I think the only per people we are missing would be Tsukamoto Norichika, who is a Shinkyokushin branch chief. Mm -hmm. Um, and Midori Kenji, who is the Daihyo or the president of Shinkyokushin. So I don't think they'll be returning to friendly uh, terms with the IKO or, or returning to the organization itself. Yeah, that was that was good news. I'm excited. I'm yeah, it's it's pretty rare that people who leave IKO come back. So even mm -hmm. if some of them are just supporting members, um, that is extremely cool. Uh, I think Iwazaki is a really good addition because, like you said, they're not necessarily going to embrace MMA, but I think they want to have a pipeline for people who to keep people right. So, so I mm -hmm. I believe why they did Ideal Gym and um, Team Michigeki before that was they were seeing how many people were like, well, I want to go pro and fighting kickboxing and make money. 
would just leave the organization altogether to do it. And they were losing a lot of talent. So I think by having Ideal Gym, so then you have like Bay Noah and people like that training there. They get to keep them in the Kyokushin organization while letting them still do it. So hopefully Iwazaki can be the MMA version of that where he can make a pipeline to keep people within the org but allow them to try that if they want to. And I would actually think, I don't know anything, so this is just me spitballing. I think them losing Mikio Ueda to MMA mm-hmm. might have been the reason why they reached out to this, thinking, well, fuck, we put so much into that guy and he just walked. Um, so maybe having Iwazaki and a, you know, a pipeline to, to allow them to do that while keeping them inside the organization would be good for them. Um so what can you talk a little bit about Ideal Gym? Is that sort of the new Ichi, the the new team Ichigeki sort of? Yeah, what that's that? that's how I've interpreted it. So I've done a lot of digging on this, and I, I've done a lot about it on a podcast about kickboxing. But so Yuto Watanabe, who is a branch chief for mm-hmm. a smaller like dojo for uh, IKO, he runs a kickboxing gym called Ideal Gym, and all the people who are still technically a part of IKO and still fight in both uh, train there. So you have uh, Bay Noah, most famously, mm-hmm. who is still a member of the Kyokushin Kaiken, still fights sometimes in the All Japan weight tournaments. He trains at an ideal gym to fight and rise. And then uh, Chiharu Higuchi as well, recently, who went to kickboxing, still wears the IKO logo on his trunks and recently fought in the All Japan weight. Uh, so did uh, Kenta Nanbara. Kenta Nanbara actually won the All Japan weight uh, for IKO. Um, and he's fighting in Rise under Ideal Gym and sort of uh, and Narimasu Dojo as well. So they seem to have set up a couple dojos that they just look like kickboxing gyms on the outside. But when I dug through their sort of LLC stuff, mm-hmm. I see that the gym is technically up under the IKO umbrella. So even though it says Ideal Gym, a kickboxing gym, when I when I dug through sort of the about pages and, and checked the LLCs, it's all registered as a Kyokushin Kaiken facility. So I wow. think I think rather than with um, Ichigeki Plaza when they were doing Ichigeki Dojo, mm-hmm. having it so overt, they've left it like they're not hiding it, but they're just allowing it to exist I think in the same way this Iwazaki deal sounds as like a substructure that, you know, they can, they can keep their distance and let that person manage it, but also have a pipeline to keep people within the organization. So, and I think, I think them reaching out to Iwazaki and trying to do this for MMA is, is gotta be the same thing after they lost, you know, way back in the day, like Andy Hoog and all these guys walked away. They were like, well, fuck we need an, team Ichigeki I think they're going to do the same thing like man they they, they spent like two decades working Mikio away to be their guy and then he just walked and I think they weren't ready for that because they had just let him try the 100 man Kumite they had released a press conference saying that he was going to try again and then like two months later he's gone so I think they look at that like man we need an we need an ideal gym for MMA and Iwazaki is the guy to do it um, one other thing I want to say, though, more just on a light comedic note and just a personal vendetta, um, I have long lambasted the uh, sort of 
belt politics in karate that have absolutely plagued my life. I have to say, I find it infinitely hilarious that um, when Kenji Yamaki first left and founded Yamaki Karate, which is totally different and definitely not Kyokushin, by the way, (laughs) anyone who followed him out had to start back at White Belt. That was a real thing that once you started Yamaki Karate, yeah, you had to, you had to be, and this happens all the time. Like most of the people who leave and found their new organization, they have to justify it. Right. So they, a lot of the times they will like start you over like, no, no, this is Yamaki Karate. So you start as a white belt. Oh my God. Can you imagine being the motherfucker who followed him out of IKO had to start over at white belt, earn your black belt again. And then he goes back to IKO and starts teaching at their hombu. I'd be like, motherfucker, you start back at white belt now. <laughs> yeah. Imag- but imagine you're, you're the, say you're, you're a black belt under Yamaki. Like when he's still Kyokushin, right? Yeah. So you follow him to California for Yamaki karate expecting Dan boost, but he studied Bumshi back down the white belt. That's kind of, that's kind of funny because it can work either way. Like guys who leave and go to a different organization who are black belts and to move up in rank, <laughs> like it, I, yes. two or three ranks, yes. then uh, and be bumped down to white belt. So that that's actually kind of funny. That work the other way. Yeah, the Sonata group, I think, are pretty famous for that, of being like, if you come to our org, we'll Dan bump you. But, yeah, yeah that that happens a lot. People always, like, laugh about that, but I'm serious. That's a real thing that happens. That's happened to me, like, two or three times, where when I when the dojo I was training at, like, and after COVID, they're all gone now. But in my, in my area, when I was, when I had a home base, I wasn't traveling for work as much as I do. Um, mm-hmm. I, I had to leave technically IKO to Shin Kyokushin not because I wanted to just because the dojo was gone there was nothing else so I had to go from like Kyokushin Ken to Kyokushin Kaiken to Shin Kyokushin each time they said we don't recognize your rank or whatever or you know they'd be like oh your ranks don't matter right you're just here to train and you get these stupid situations where I'm in a class where a brown belt is teaching us and I'm launching him across the room with knees (laughs) with a white belt on and that that's exactly what's going on with the Kenji. I just thought that was so funny when I saw Kenji Yamaki came back and he's a hombu instructor. If I was one of the guys he reset to white belt, I'd be like, how come you don't have to start a white belt? <laughs> anyway, that's that's funny though. Um, but um, sorry, I actually forgot what I was gonna say. So well, we let's, should let's I, move on. <laughs> yeah, well, with that, there's a there's a transition here. Is as IKO is bringing people back. Unfortunately, that's what I'm going to title the podcast, actually. Uh, New Year, Same Problems. Um, <laughs> two, you know, One step forward, two steps back. They get all these Hiroshige students back, but they lose all of Izobe, Shihan's students. Um, yeah. So, sort of. Yeah. S- sort of, yeah. So, uh, for people who don't know, um, Senshi, which is run by the Kyokushin World Union, um, they picked up... Uh, Globe Feitosa and Francisco Filho, who have, I still can't believe this because Filho's been one of their branch guys forever. Um, and he's always the you know head ref at the world tournaments and stuff. It's crazy, but he's gone. He's left IKO to go do Senshi. 
their sort of Kyokushin World Union kickboxing camp and, and training and stuff like that. So after all these years, yeah, Globe Feitosa and Francisco Filho have uh, moved on. Yeah, um, so I have so I have the official story. I have some of in, inside inside baseball in terms of some of the Brazilian students. Um, but my own opinions is that, or at least sort of what I I heard initially from some of the Brazilian students was Filio saw what Senshi was doing in terms of. The, the fight camps and, and the, the kickboxing tournaments that they hold um, and wanted to do something similar with his Ichigeki kickboxing, which has sort of stayed in South America. It hasn't really branched out anywhere else, maybe like a random European country, but um, I, I think he sort of wanted to do something similar and was sort of shot down either Isolve Shihan or by the larger organization itself. Um, and then sort of saw an opportunity to attend that, that seminar. And uh, unfortunately, uh, that's what he did. And then Isolve, from what I heard, was that he wanted an immediate ex expulsion. So... It was really Isolve that was driving the the response from the IKO. Um, so officially, they were expelled for, for not asking permission to attend another organization's event. And that people that are still involved with the IKO one to have no contact whatsoever with. Francisco Filio or Feitoza. Um, but if you read the Japanese version, and I sort of uh, was, was uh, informed of this as well, um, there's a different kind of expulsion within Japanese, like the Japanese language. So they were expul expelled with a possibility of coming back although it is a full expulsion and, you know, they're definitely sort of blacklisted, there is w built within the language and the vocabulary of what's phrased in Japanese, that there is a chance that one day in the future that they can come back. Um, it's not like a sort of the, uh, in Japanese it's called hamon. So it's sort of play any of the Yakuza video games, or if you're familiar with, Yakuza culture, that is like full expulsion from the organization. Like you're blackballed, you cannot come. Like if you are in a criminal organization, like people are gonna hurt you. Um, but you know, IKO is not a criminal organization. Um, so it's it, but it's built with within built into like the language. Um, so that I thought that was very interesting. Um, there could possibly chance that they could work their way back into the fold um but at least i'll give my opinion and then path you can sort of speak on it as well if you want uh kwu and senshi have their own problems um they're from a 
I, I've learned from a credible source that they're sort of backed by, they're based in Bulgaria. They're sort of backed by sort of Bulgarian criminal elements. Um, that's how they get the money. And apparently, I don't want to speak out of turn because I, I truly don't know, but sort of their their leadership isn't the isn't the cleanest of, of people, I would say, um, in terms of money and jobs. <laughs> uh, uh, but anyway, so it, you sort of have to factor that in. Like, you know, what did those guys lose? They chose, sure, they chose freedom, right? They don't have to answer to the IKO anymore. They don't have to maybe feel as trapped as they might have thought they were. But again, you know, who are they working for now? They're sure, it's a cash grab, right? So I imagine being flown out to Bulgaria five times a year and being offered probably tens of thousands of dollars to do three or four days of work sounds like an ideal situation, but you know, where does that money come from, you know? I'm sure the IKO isn't the cleanest of, of organizations as well. They have their own problems in terms of dealing with the Yakuza. Going back to, um, you know, soul size days, um, but it, it's you got to weigh the pros and cons of, of, you know, sort of what they did and what they lost. There's no connection to Japan anymore. So if that's important to you, which I think it is for me, um, I would want to always be connected to an organization that has some, you know, either headquarters or, or connection to, to Japan because that's important to me. That's important to, um, you know, me and my private life as well, my interests. Um, but yeah, they, I would say they, they lost a lot compared to what they're gaining. But Path, what do you think about it? Yeah, I mean, I think that's well said. Um, that that's the weirdest thing to me is, you know, Globe Fatosa specifically wasn't sort of um, so so prominent in the world of IKO, but like Francisco Filho definitely was. He was always giving interviews to them. You know, he'd always be like a head ref at world tournaments. He was always doing seminars around the world for them. He was basically running the Brazilian branch of it for them almost. He seemed to be the the spearhead there. Um, and you have to imagine, you know, over the 10, 15 plus years he was with them after he retired from fighting, mm-hmm. um, you know, he must have put up with a lot of stupid stuff in the background, you know, no shade to IKO, just in general, any yeah. organization, any company you work for, there's going to be stuff you have to put up with. So for the final straw to be that they didn't want him going to Senshi, um, I don't know. It's just it's just odd. I think it is really just a you know, he it's an opportunity for them, and I don't know that the economic situation is that great in Brazil right now, and maybe they thought they just they need this. Um, but I, I would say the same thing is like it's Kyokushin World Union. They they literally have it sort of in the tagline "Time to be united." That's sort of like their their logo and they seem to be poaching people from everywhere so you know no matter what you think of 
you know, intra-org politics, <clears throat> it's clear to me that whether you're IKO or Shinkyokushin or whatever, they wouldn't be happy with you going there. Because, I mean, their yeah. their tagline is we want to steal you away. Um, so that was just a, a weird thing. They must have decided that they were they were already ready to jump ship or, you know, seek new opportunities. And again, yeah, I, I agree with you where I look at every single big name from the kickboxing world in the 90s, um, that whole K1 era, everyone from Semi Schilt to Peter Arch to, you know, Ernesto Hoos, they're all in Senshi. And they seemingly all get flown there and sort of train Senshi fighters. And I know Nicholas Pettis is doing like commentary for them sometimes live. Mm hmm. And, like, I know for a fact that, you know, for a while they really wanted to get, uh, Rise really wanted to get uh, Kengo Shimizu, who was a former IKO guy, to fight Peter Arts for his retirement mm -hmm. fight. And Peter Arts was like, yeah, if the money's there. And clearly that never happened because Rise couldn't afford Peter Arts. Um, and Rise's viewership and sponsors, as far as I can tell, are a lot bigger than Senshi. Like, when I look at the replays for Senshi online, I don't even think they charge a pay-per-view. I think it's just, like, they, they post it on, like, YouTube streams. Some of them yeah. get, like, a couple hundred views. I know I know yeah, there's people uh, who go there live and pay for it, but it's like, if Rise can't afford one of these guys' salaries, how the hell is Senshi and Kyokushin World Union paying for all of them? all the time multiple times a year it just something to, all i don't know what it is all i can say is sometimes you can just look in an organization and see how much money they're spending and you're looking for where their revenue is coming from and like this doesn't pass the smell test there's something weird here this is i don't know if it's like yeah. crypto investment you know it could be something as simple as that but i just look at it and like how could how come you can afford all these guys and like leagues with like eight nine 15 times the viewership can't um it just it just doesn't pass the smell test so yeah i i agree with you it's um it's a lot to gain but potentially a lot to lose um and yeah, i have no ill will I mean, towards them it just doesn't make sense i mean yeah i mean sort of kwu sort of came to power not power was on the rise when they poached zahari right yes yeah, so after 2004 15? Yeah. 2015. Um, so they poached him. They gave him, I don't know if they gave him the whole dojo or they had an opportunity for him for having a brand new state of the art dojo. And uh, yeah, so that that's interesting um, to offer somebody like a ready built, essentially like a MMA dojo. Um, yeah it's i don't know i again all these organizations are probably not the cleanest right they it's business it's politics when you run run of combat sports organizations you're bound to run into some sort of criminal element unfortunately right so um whether you choose that criminal element to bankroll you is a different thing, um, which, again, I am only hearing that 
Zenchi and KWU might be, you know, from sort of credible elements that may or may not be able to read Bulgarian, but, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's, I don't know how I feel about it. Like, obviously the IK, a lot of people, at least online, initially on Facebook and, and on Instagram and stuff like that, um, sort of what we're making fun of the IKO, like, of course they're going to like expel them, like how, or actually how dare they expel, expel them. You know, they did so much for the organization, but I saw it like in a way, in a very Japanese way, I think it was very Japanese of them to of course issue a letter of expulsion in, in response. Right. So, you know, they they do it every time a person leaves. They did it for Ueda. They did it for Ahari. They did it for, you know, um, what's this, the really tan guy that went to kickboxing and then disappeared. Like they 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 do it all the time, and it's a I think it's a thing that is built into the culture. You didn't quit. So, we fired you. <laughs> yeah. So I mean. Soulside did it all the time. He kicked out Ryoma, uh, Ryoyama first time, expelled him, expelled him, and he came back. But like he he did it to Azuma for for Daiojuku. He did it to Sueno Sueno for um, Shirokan. Like it's not a thing that is just happening with Matsui. Like it's what Kyokushin, the IKO at least in response to people that decide to leave and I, I i don't well i don't fully agree with that um i think it looks makes the organization look weak because they sort of have to well you didn't quit like, like exactly what you said you didn't quit we we fired you <laughs> um, so it makes it look look weak but what else are you supposed to do you know um i don't know it's just yeah it's just a part of japanese business culture too and stuff like that that's yeah. it is what it is um so yeah two you know one step forward two steps back they got some of hiroshige's guys back but then they lost a huge chunk of the you know brazilians most important movement uh of that yeah. 90s era so, but you know new year same problems but <laughs> at least somebody came back for once that hasn't happened in a while so that that's yeah. good. I would I would like to see a little less fragmentation. I think the last thing to go into before we wrap up is looking on at the new year for Kyokushin, and this is a world tournament year finally. Um, mm -hmm. And so there's a lot to consider with that. I would just throw it to you. And as this is a world tournament year uh, for both IKO and Shin Kyokushin, like who are you? Who are you looking at? What do you? How do you see it shaking out? Yeah, so something I would like to briefly bring up, as it's tied to the the last episode, the the video episode we did a couple weeks ago, or that I did um, with my dojo mates uh, Luigi and Damien, um, is that on February fifth, the seventeenth U.S. weight category karate championships will be happening in Los Angeles. So the IKO 
uh, branch in LA uh, host this tournament. It's the first one since start of the pandemic. So the the last one was held in 2020. And it's supposedly going to be an international tournament as it usually is. You usually get a couple um, Russian fighters. You know, Kapanadze was uh, was in my division when I the one time I fought uh, in that tournament and I was scared to death. Um, but in the past, Kurbanov had his Akamat uh, students when he was still part of IKO and a lot of like a lot of international um, fighters come come uh, to it uh, this year uh, my dojo mate Luigi uh, will be fighting middleweight so he was the person featured in that uh, video episode and uh, it is a world tournament qualifier so it's the first one of 2023 at least that I'm aware of if you um, place or do fairly well, you can get picked to uh, fight for your your nation uh, in the world tournament in November. So I'm excited. I'm heading out uh, actually next Tuesday, the 31st. I'm going out a little bit early. I'm going to train at the LA Dojo uh, for the first time uh, ever. Um, so I'm excited to take class there. I'm just going purely to watch and uh, to, to cheer my uh, my dojo mates on. Um, and then, you know, I'll do some dojo exploring while I'm out there for the vlog. And then, uh, but yeah, and then the tournament is on that Sunday. Um, but yeah, so that's the first qualify for the year. Um, yeah, I think the world tournament this year will be different uh, than 2019. How can it not be with how the world is is, is currently? Um, I, like I said earlier, I agree that maybe the Russian contingent be a bit smaller this year. Although, I'd say the people that do or have potential to show up um, will do fairly well, if not place or win. Uh, I'm a big fan of Igor Zagainov, so I'm hoping that he has what it takes to take the, the W at the World Tournament this year. Um, and uh, yeah, so I would say I'm hoping for Zagainov. Uh, and then in terms of you know, the rest of the world is sort of a wild card. I, I don't know. I don't even know who would show up for the IKO. Uh, let alone the Shinkyokushin one. So I think, I don't know if the Shinkyokushin one is this year, if they had the World Weight Category Tournament in 2022. Do you know for sure it's happening this year? Uh, that one, that one I'm not sure on. But I mean, mm -hmm. it is, it's one of the things, right, where everything got pushed back because of COVID, so everything's offset now. But technically, it is a World Tournament year for both. Um, mm. so it's just a matter if they go ahead with it or not. And again, so I brought up earlier with Shin Kyokushin Europe refusing to work with Shin Kyokushin Russia, that might also be a determining factor on whether they go ahead or not. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So how about you, Path? Like who, what fighters do you have, uh, picked out for the year and who could be, a, could, who can be some contenders in the world tournament so far? Yeah. So 
that's the interesting thing about this year is again it's a wild card where if the russians show up then it's a little bit more clear and it's sort of what we've always been saying in the top 10 and stuff like that but if they don't that means there's more open slots so maybe some countries we don't get to see very often will get a chance to you know fill those slots so either way i'm actually kind of interested i think yeah igor zaginov is a good pick um we talked about this before and neither of us speak the language um but do we know, like, is Aramenko done? Or, or is he know, be a contender man. too? Like, I, I have no idea. And I can't seem to find anybody who knows. Like, would he go? I don't know. So he, so the Russian organization, like the Russian IKO organization has been posting winter camp photos, but they all look pretty similar, like compared to last year, like they're in the same room. It's the same guys. Um, so, and Aramenko is in, is like participating in that training. Like he's not, doesn't seem like he's coaching. He seems like an active participant. So he might be making a run for it again. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that that's another wild card. So, because he sort of disappeared off the tournament scene for a little bit after the world tournament placing second last time. And we sort of weren't sure whether he would. He fought in a couple Russian Cups, I think, since then, but on and off. Um, so I think to me, the big X factor is, is Aramenko going to be there? Because I'm not betting against him if he's there. I still think mm-hmm. he's the number one guy um, for IKO. I don't see... Igor Zaginov is a really good pick. He'll definitely be in contention, but I still think Aramenko is just something special. And uh, especially if he comes up like he did in the 2019 tournament, he just looked unstoppable. Um, So there's him. Um, Obviously, Kaito Nishimura will be in the mix, um, you know, representing Japan. He'll be their best hope, I think. Um, And then I don't don't think he would. uh, I don't think he'll do well this year. Like Like sort of what we said, if. Need to see that more X factor. It, yeah, more of an international presence shows up in November. Like, I think that's bad news for for Nishimura. So, I agree, but he is going to have a slight home field advantage. Let's say that I think will keep him at least in the conversation until the semifinals, until it's true do or die time. Um, so Zagayanov, Aramenko, Nishimura. I think. Um, Alejandro Navarro will probably be there. Um, I don't know if he has enough in the tank, just at his age, you know what I mean, to get up to the finals. But I think he'll he'll place highly. Yeah. Um, again, yeah, just it depends on who who shows up. And on the Shin Kyokushin side of it, after seeing the World Open or sorry, the World uh, Wait for Shin Kyokushin, I just. I can't imagine that wasn't just a literal vision of the future, that it's going to be Mazur versus Gazalskas locked in a death spiral. <laughs> like I just looked at, I really encourage people to go back and watch that tournament. The amount of punishment that Mazur took and kept coming, and just how unbelievably hard Gazalskas hits compared to everyone else in that tournament. I can't even fathom a situation where somebody beats one of them and it's not the other guy. Like, I don't see how Kembu Uriki could ever beat 
Gazalskas. I don't. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of anybody else who could uh, potentially, you know, give them a hard time, but they just looked unstoppable in that tournament. I know it was regimented by weight, but they are super heavyweights. Like they were the sort of top mm. weight. So unless you're going to try to argue that, you know, someone lighter is going to beat them. I just, I don't see it going any other way than a Gazowskis. I And I think Gazowskis will win it. Like the way he's been just destroying everyone in Shin Kyokushin in the European weights, the Lithuanian opens, like every tournament he's been in, we talk about Iriki being on a hot streak. I mean, every tournament I've seen Gazowskis in in the last two and a half years, he's mauled the opposition. I remember when he won, I think it was European weight in 2021. His opponent quit. Oh. He punched the guy in the liver, and he literally went like, no, no, just like a lo- <laughs> like a little light wave to the ref. Yeah. After the Wazari, he was like, mm. <laughs> and the ref's yeah. like, what? Like, no, like, go. He's like, no, no, no. <laughs> Just a little hand wave. Like, I'm good. This is the finals of the European wave. And he just waved it off. He was like, fuck this, man. I'm not getting hit by this guy anymore. Yeah. Do you have any idea how tough you have to be to get that far? And then to wave it <laughs> off like that? He must have felt like he got hit by a fucking shotgun. Yeah. So when I just look at his power, his composure, his ability to take damage, those fucking dead eyes of a killer, like... <laughs> I don't see anybody beating Gazalskas, and the only one who has a chance to maybe scrape a decision off him is Mazur, who has the, you know, the iron chest to take that amount of punishment and not go down. I don't see Iriki or even Goto or anybody like that being able to withstand the onslaught. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it'll be, it'll be an interesting year. Uh so do you just want to and I know we went back and forth about this the other day on Instagram but uh do you just want to end it with uh with your boy Ren from Sado Kaikon just beating the crap out of <laughs> some old man in, in kickboxing with small gloves? Yeah, sure. Yeah, we can we can end on a, on a light <laughs> note. So there've been a lot of uh in K1 and Rise and all these sort of Japanese kickboxing organizations, they desperately lack quality heavyweights um most of the heavyweights that fight in those organizations are just welterweights or middleweights that really like to eat i don't know how else to put it like they're quite overweight um and so they've been desperate for for talent and they seem to have been reaching into the um you know karate world to get that talent lately they picked up uh renosuke uh, hoshi from ikeo k1 got they got ren ito now from sado kaiken uh, they got Kenta Nanbara from Ikeo. So they, they've sort of picked up a bunch of heavyweights. And they they got um, uh, Yamaguchi from Byakuren Kaiken. And they've all just been mauling these old, overweight <laughs> dudes as they come in, just taking over. Um, the worst one I saw lately, like you were alluding to, is Ren Ito fought at uh, AJKN, I think it's called. And he fought... Yeah, it's the All Japan Kickboxing Network, which yeah. is... <laughs> Like, so if you want to, although you guys probably talk about it on a podcast about kickboxing, but sort of Rise and K1 are are essentially like UFC and Bellator in the, the yeah. Japanese kickboxing world, where like 
All Japan Kickboxing Network would be like Legacy FC or like Age Rage kind of like these feeder organizations that kind of just let anyone come in. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I'm sure. Yeah, so yeah, dude, he Ito was just he did that like you could see that he comes from like a contact or from a knockdown style because he did that like that 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 um those sort of chain punches where they like almost put they punch you but they push off your chest to punch you again he was doing it to that to that guy and it no response just rope to rope to rope to rope like end to end of the ring just <laughs> mauling this man it was just i mean i loved it because it was it so showed the power of of knockdown karate but in in a kickboxing small glove muay thai world um yeah i like we we talked about earlier in earlier episodes like sato kaikon is sort of forging its own path in terms of new style of 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 kumite that they are doing um which may or may not lend uh it's what like lend a hand in in transitioning into kickboxing which historically it has right like Sato kaikon created k1 ishii created k1 so yeah. it, it's actually pretty cool to see how that that is continuing it's all coming full circle. Yeah. 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 They gave uh, Ren Ito, who's the Sato Kaiken super heavyweight champion, and he's also a FICA champion. They gave him this. Uh, the, the, the best part is he wasn't even a kickboxer. He's actually an MMA guy that they had him oh. fight in kickboxing rules, but they had them wear MMA gloves. And yeah, Ren Ito just beat the living <laughs> shit out of him. And uh, recently, just two days ago, at uh, Big Bang, which is uh, sort of a feeder keep busy org for K1 as well, they they let their fighters fight there a lot of the times. Um, Ryanosuke Hoshi, who the IKO was pushing really hard at one point, who went to Power of Dream with Chihiro Nakajima, mm-hmm. and now they're you know fighting for K1. He fought Nori, who is a I, I don't know how else to describe it. He's a kickboxer that's fought in K1 and Big Bang for a long time. But he's sort of short, and he's only super heavyweight because he's very overweight. Like, he's really big. And Hoshi is actually, like, shredded and ripped yeah. at that weight because he's actually a proper heavyweight with the right frame. I mean, if you thought the Ren Ito beating was bad, <laughs> you should go and look at it. I mean, Hoshi just splattered this guy. Um, oh just bashed his brains in. Um <laughs> There's just been a lot of that going on lately. It's been fun to see sort of the the fall-offs from the Kyokushin uh, super heavyweight yeah. division sort of stroll into these kickboxing orgs out of bed, half in the bag, and just slap the piss out of all these fat guys. It's <laughs> pretty fun to watch. Uh, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good note to end it on. And uh, So thank you guys, everyone, for listening. Um, we'll try to – I should be around a little bit more often this year. Um I shouldn't be traveling as as much for work, so hopefully I'll be around to do more of these. 
like you said, we'll probably do a follow-up after the March weight tournaments and the you know All-American that um, Chris is going to attend. And we'll keep you updated all the way into the, the World Tournament this year. It's an exciting year for Kyokushin, and uh, thank you guys for following along. Thanks, guys. Uh, so I would like to do more of the, uh, the video uh, episodes on my own, so I'll tune in for those, and uh, thanks for listening. Us. Us.